us up to Warp Tour. So we did, so Descendants, you know, we we got, you know, Milo, Milo got his degree and he was like, I'm gonna take a year off and let's make a record and go out on tour. And, you know, I wanna just, you know, do that while I have a, a brief opportunity. So we recorded the record, Everything Sucks. Um, and <clears throat> we went on tour, on the Warp Tour. Um, and I want to say by the Warp Tour, I was probably just using 900s, probably just used a 900 at that point. And I had my Les Paul, my untunable Les Paul, and I bought a 75 untunable, beautiful uh, Les Paul custom that I had for a while, which I sold to to a friend. Um, so the classic while, was the one on the on the one video. I don't remember. No, that's the black one. I think oh, okay. I was using the custom on that one. I'm not sure there are many. I don't know if I ever used that in a video. Well, so on the Warp Tour, um, 97, 97 with um, um, that's when Social D had had Chuck Biscuits in the band, and you know it was it was a really fun year. It was a great year. Yep. The uh, um, Music Man had a like a motorhome, like a RV that they were touring with. And, and it was Brian Ball, maybe Scott Ball, I think. And, and they were just, you know, and maybe there was another cousin, some, you know, but they were yeah. just the young guys, the grandsons of Ernie Ball himself. And they were doing the uh, the uh, Battle of the Band stage. This was even before that. So they, they did this first and eventually they had, the, this was uh, may, maybe the first year they were on the tour. And all they did is they took this RV around, set it up, and it kind of had these fold out things and they would hang all the guitars and they had these little practice amps and, you know, people could just walk up and grab a guitar and put, throw on some headphones and play them. Brilliant. And I had played a couple of their guitars before and was like, man, these are really nicely made. They feel fucking great. I, I, I like them. And so one day I went up and I'm like, Hey, can I try one of these at our set one day? And they were like, sure. What do you like? And so they flew out one for me. It was a translucent orange guitar with a humbucker and two single coils, humbucker and bridge and two single coils mm -hmm. and um, a rosewood neck. Cause all the guitars they were touring with had maple necks. And I'm kind of a fiend about the rosewood neck. I don't know why that is, like but that uh, yeah, right. there you go. Yeah. And I, um, so they flew that guitar. They, they sent one out and said, here, you know, try this. And that day Sterling ball, son of Ernie ball and mm -hmm. then head of the company, um, was out and came and watched the set was like, we like this guy, you know, like let's, let's, you know, and, and so, uh, friendship was sort of formed there. And, and I, I ordered two Axis sport guitars, um, mm -hmm. one in translucent green, one in kind of a weird gray color, like a translucent gray. It's pretty bizarre with no knobs. They're just stripped down, just nothing, just a stock music man pickup. And I played those guitars for years. Um, until they came out with, uh, when they put out that, what they call the Stingray guitar, which is, mm -hmm. which is loosely based on the, the guitar that Leo Fender designed when he started Music Man, which he only was there briefly, but it was kind of based on that guitar. It was like sort yep. of a reimagining of that guitar. And the shape was very similar to my 64 Fender Jaguar that got <laughs> stolen when I was a kid that I told you about. So I was like, Ooh, it's an offset. Yes. You know? And I was like, I love this guitar. Would you ever make one without a tremolo? And they had a prototype hanging on the wall in Brian's office. You know what? I'm staring at one. It's dark gray. It's got just, just a regular, you know, um, 
neck through bot, you know, the strings through the back, you know, yep. kind of a bridge, strat style bridge kind of. Um, and so I asked him, Hey, could you make me a pit guard where it just has one pickup and, and just plug the knobs and the switch holes. And I picked that guitar up out of the case and I was like, this is the best guitar I've ever played. And I, and, and that one, um, that's your, that's your signature. Huh? And that's the signature guitar. And that's, yeah, that, and so I have that one, they found another prototype and they were like, dude, we found another one. I was like, sweet scent, you know, so I had a spare. That's <laughs> yes, a backup. Yeah, and so I, yeah, so I have those two, you know, those two that now I have retired those stay home because, because like if, if, if number one were to go, I would just freak out. So now I tour with, um, now I tour with the Stefan model or whatever, the Stefan um, option style model. And then I have a shell pink version of the same guitar that I carry as a spare. And those are, and that's kind of what that's, those are my jammies that nowadays that I play. That's awesome. And you, they did a run. I think it was a charity run of your, of your model. I know that it sold out like immediately. Well, they offer it as something you can just order, you know, they're, they're not going to like put those in stores. That's more like you can order it the right. way Stefan likes it, you know? Um, and, and that's, that's kind of a, that's kind of a, you know, a cool thing, but yes, there is a, there is a charity, uh, you know, involvement with that, which, which I love that. So, yeah, it's um, pretty awesome. Yeah. And, and it's a, you know, it's a great company. They're awesome guys. So, you know, so now for 20, you know, it's a long time now I've played those guitars. The, uh, one of the things I wanted to kind of go back to and it current anyway, you were, you were talking about the JCM 900s. Was that the first Marshall that you'd like you, you said that literally the first one? Marshall I've ever played through. It was so that I when you played in well, the no, studio, I, you know what? That's not true. In auto da fe, this is funny in auto da fe, um, in DC, I didn't own an amp. I, I still owned the sound city, but I had left it in my parents' basement in Salt Lake city. So I didn't have it with me. And I, had moved out there without even owning an electric guitar. I just had my classical guitar then. So, um, I, I moved out there originally. I moved to Manassas, Virginia at first where my uncle lives. And I was, I was living with my uncle. And while there I met bug who was our, who became our roadie and was our roadie for 17 years. And bug owned a super lead 100, like an old one. And wow. it had been retolexed in white, but other than that, and it was a bruiser. I mean, you can barely even turn that fucker on. So that was the first Marshall I ever played through. But I mean, if you breathe on the volume, it'll rip your head off. It's that yeah, kind oh, of, yeah. Yeah. it's amazing. It sounds fantastic. Um, and he still has that amp. I think actually that amp lives at the blasting room. If you, if you look, there are probably pictures up where if you're looking down the long hallway, you'll go, Oh, there it is. There's bugs amp, you know, and I played that in auto da fe in 1985 or whatever. Like, so, wow. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. So that was the first Marshall I played through. And then the first one I ever owned, uh, well, no, you know, what's funny is that the band bought, you know, the 900, the 50 watt, then we bought from Zach Blair, we bought a hmm. hundred watt um, that we still, we still use. That's probably the main blasting room amp. I mean, that amp is, let's say that amp has probably appeared on more records done at the blasting room than any other single amplifier. I'm making wow. a at that because i've been gone a long time but that's probably true and that's that a 900 it's a 900 so we have two of those uh the 50 and the 100 and then not too long ago you know eight 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 ten years ago i got a call from my my kids um my kids doctor 
who's a friend, you know, great guy uh, who, who I really liked. He's like, you know, I'm, my wife and I are downsizing. Um, I bought an amp from a med student that was, you know, that studied under me a long time ago because uh, I play guitar myself and I bought this amp and, and um, you know, I thought you might be interested in checking it out. So it's a 1981 first year of JCM 800 with the, oh, yeah. uh, with the, you know, the vertical, vertical inputs, vertical yeah. inputs. Like the and JMP. Yeah. It's basically a JMP, I think for all intents and purposes. Yeah. It was I the think. last, the last 2203 JMP circuit is the same. Same. Same circuit, as that circuit. Supposedly. Yeah. yeah. They changed so the it's, So it's more or less a JMP. Um, but I bought that with a PV-412. I still have that PV-412 somewhere around here too. And so that that Marshall that I bought like, you know, eight years ago or something, that's the first Marshall I ever owned by myself. <laughs> that's <laughs> so, amazing. I just found it, I found I it very interesting. Uh, it, it's rare that I hear of anyone that in, in our realm of music, you know, any music that touches our realm of music Generally, you have a Marshall at some point. So it really surprised me when you said Yeah, that uh, I was well into my 50s <laughs> or whatever when I finally got one. Yeah, very strange. You guys were already areas. big by the time. <laughs> we'd, we'd done plenty of tours. No, I mean, really, though, you know, I mean, I used those two 900s for years and years and years. Right. So I mean, they're, yeah, yeah. They're, they're family. But it's just funny that the first one that I ever laid down my own cash for and bought and owned by myself is is this. <laughs> this 1981 800 i also i found it very interesting that uh the the 900 900s get bashed a lot and i like 900s i yeah i don't know why people you know i mean people find a reason to bash anything they yeah and i will say this the 900 is like the eq that i have to do to it because i I use i end up using them a lot i i most of the time i play black star ht 100s um if i'm you know if we were touring with our own stuff which we actually did that last year for the first time in decades we did a you know a tour where we were just hauling our own gear if we're doing that i take i take my black stars i have two of them and two cabinets and it's a perfect setup um but most of the time we fly in to shows and, you know, fly in and play a weekend. And so we're just getting a different backline each night until we go home. And black stars aren't available in all that many places, less, less places than the 900 is fucking everywhere. So, so I get 900s all the time. And I basically go up and turn the treble almost off, the mid-range almost off, the presence almost off. It, like, it's, it's kind of stupid what I do to the EQ, <laughs> but eventually I do get there. You know, and it and and I crack just a little bit. You know, I bring them up from basically off, and then finally I get a thing that isn't just shrill and kicking my. You ass. find the sweet spot. Yeah, I think that's the yeah. problem. Is everybody tried to EQ it like an eight hundred, and uh, you can't. You yeah. just bad can't. call exactly, and that's why I think that has more to do with anything else. And it's interesting. Um, have you guys? You guys know satellite amplifiers from from uh, San Diego. Adam Grimm. Adam Grimm makes just these really cool. Yeah. yeah, he makes beautiful, really, really neat, all kinds of cool, really cool tube amps. And he's just a cool guy. If you went into his space, you guys would just go, holy shit, look at all this yeah. fucking weird old crap that this guy's got. It's amazing. He has he has an, an incredible collection of stuff and he makes wonderful amplifiers. Walter yes. Becker from Steely Dan used to play him. All, all kinds of people, you know, right. use his amps. They sound great. Um, and he's just a tube amp nut job guy. He's f- a lot of fun. Um, he was showing me, he, he looked up, we, we, we looked up the, uh, the sort of preamp piece of a 900 circuit and 
essentially what it is, is a diode clipper, like a, you know, a fucking tube screamer with, there is a bit of tube circuitry ahead of it. I don't know exactly what all of that means because I'm not, you know, savvy enough in guitar electronics to know that, but it is more or less a, you know, an 800 with a fucking tube screamer in front of it, which is mm. exactly what Metallica used, what, you know, every metal band what everybody used, did. you know, what yeah, everyone, what everyone used doing. because it's a, it's a wonderful sound. It works great. And so that's what a 900 is. I think the 900's failing is in the EQ. And it's yeah. the EQ, the EQ, what do they call that? Do they call that a tone stack? Is that what that means? The EQ, yeah. the tone stack or whatever, if you want to, if you want to use guitar nerd terms <laughs> is, is, is not ideally suited to that channel. Let's put it that way. It isn't ideally suited to the high gain channel of that amp, but the amp itself, I, I don't use much gain on, I kind of, there's a sweet spot in the gain because I'm trying to cover for the higher gain sound that I've used for all these years and the lower gain sound that Frank Nevetta used mm -hmm. and Ray Cooper in the middle with kind of somewhere in between. So, you know, I'm covering this kind of range of sounds, but I don't want to change sounds. I just want to have one sound because we don't stop between songs. As you guys know, we just yep. barrel yeah. through the whole thing. And so the sound that I like to go for is, is, you know, I'm, I'm kind of just screwing around with a combination of that EQ. Cause you know, you turn all that treble and mid range off and and then the, you know, you got to get the preamp in exactly the right spot. And, you know, so there's a weird blending that goes on, but I can get the 900 to do what the thing I'm trying to make it do. And, and then, that's how you get the spank. That, that's I mean, where you your get your style is that percussive spank. Yeah. Of, and there's, the yeah. yeah. And I play with a heavy pick and I have a weird, I have an unusual attack. Now, I mean, it's, it's, you know, one could say it's, it's pretty bad for a lot of kinds of things. It's why a song like, you know, that's why, you know, and it's the song breathe, like it goes plank, 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 <laughs> you know, really hard like that. That's because of that's because that's a failing in my playing. I don't have, you know, I can't drift between styles. I just do the thing that I do. So well, your solo was smooth as fuck on that song. Well, it's, and it's probably, it's probably that 900 with like a little more gain added to it. You know what I mean? To, to, to <laughs> smooth it out. In there. But the, but that like, um, you know, that kind of sweet spot that you can set in a 900, it'll allow me, if I don't strum hard, I'm going to get a clean ish sound. If I plow into it, I'm going to get an everything sucks sound. So, you know, the 900 and the HT 100 Blackstar, they, they allow me to find that particular sweet spot. And I have to do a little bit less like rude shit to the black star to get it to work. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Well, cause it, it's the same guys who designed it and they right. realized they, they could make it better. The tone stack <laughs> is, is better thought out or whatever. Yeah. The Q section is better thought out to me. All right. So, so let's, yeah, let's, <laughs> let's jump. So all was the first band in our world, you know, let's call it punk rock, hardcore world, at least that, that publicly did the smartest thing they could do with their record label advance. Instead of taking the money, paying producers, spending ridiculous amounts of money on studio time, you guys took the money, built a badass studio. You and Bill are both incredible producers and engineers and you guys put yourselves to work on one of the best records you guys have ever done. Mm -hmm. 
Um, So let's talk a little bit more. uh, Let's talk, let's switch gears a little bit to production. Into recording Um, land. Great. Yeah. Let's go into recording. (laughs) Okay. Well, recording land sort of goes like this. So, so the, you know, the, um, you know, we recorded in, I mean, from the time I joined, when I joined, we recorded it. uh, The first record we did was in um, Radio Tokyo studio in Venice Beach, California, which was where they had done Enjoy and a lot of other great punk records from around that time. Minutemen, Double Nickels on the Dime was done there. Um, Later on, uh, Jawbreaker's first record on Fawn was done there. There there was a lot of stuff done there during that period. And um, that was a, that was a 24, uh, when I got there, let's six, uh, Enjoy is on 16 track, but when I got to the studio, when I joined, they had just graduated to a 24 track 3M machine. They had a sound workshop console, very basic. And I didn't know much about recording. I didn't know really anything about recording. And so, but I was absolutely like stoked because that's what I really want. You know, that mm. Sony tape machine, the ability to record, I was absolutely attracted to that always. And I didn't have the access to even see what it looked like because we didn't really have many studios that I, you know, I was just too much of a poor dumb punk kid to figure out a way into a recording studio back then. So this was my first time really getting to sort of see it from the control room angle, not just blazing in and playing as fast as I could and leaving it, you know, to, to sort of (laughs) grok what was going on and learn what you, you know, anything about all of this equipment. And so we recorded there We and I recorded a few other bands there um, helping out just kind of like, you know, I, I was just asking questions, just pestering Bill, pestering Richard Andrews, our engineer at that time. And so eventually Richard let me kind of be the second engineer on a lot of, uh, a lot of sessions. And I, he taught me little things, Bill taught me things, you know, basically everybody just showed me what they could. And I became completely, you know, fascinated by wanting to do that. And I learned though, that in it, at that time it's tape, you can't, you, you, you can edit. Yes, you can kind of, if you want to go really deep, but we're all hauling ass. We don't have any money. We're punk kids. So the only way to make a great record is to get the band to play good. That's all you can do, you know? So, so that was really what it was all about was the communication piece of trying to explain what you want you know, what your, what the goal is and, and have conversations about that and help give criticism that is fair yet, you know, makes the, the playing move forward. And so, so as far as the gear part of it went, you know, Bill and I, we were very committed and we started recording all kinds of bands for, you know, we did, we did records at the, like I said, at, at uh, Radio Tokyo. Then we moved on to another studio called Third Wave. That's where we did, we started there with All Roy Says and we did records there for a long time. We did Says, Prez, Revenge. Um, we mixed Liveage there. And that was a notch up. That was a 24 track 3M, uh, no, not a 3M machine, a um, MCIJH24 uh, mm. tape machine, nice tape machine, and a Harrison console. I'd like to know more. I, I, I wish I had known a little more about what that lineage was at that time. No I didn't. It was a, it wasn't a, it, it was maybe a 32 channel console. It was a nice console. And that was the first console I ever, you know, sat there twisting knobs on, learned out, you know, learned what the phase button did and, you know, what shelving was, all of that stuff that happened at third wave. And, um, did you guys work on any Chemical People records there? Lots, yes. Yeah, we chemical, right? Well, actually not there. You know what? I don't think we did any Chemical... Maybe we mixed something there, but we, you know, a lot of the Chemical People stuff we did, we did at... Um, 
Cameron's place? Yeah, Cameron's place. Well, fuck. Well, um, oh, how can I forget what it's called? That's terrible. Maybe it'll come to me. But anyway, West Beach Recorders, where West Beach, where West Beach which if I remember right at the time, had a Soundcraft console, maybe another one of those JH24 con de decks because they were everywhere. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just some good, basic, good, basic gear. But, you know, the there were decent microphones that were like, you know, U87s and that kind of stuff around. Yuri compressors were around, Yuri, Yuri 1176s, that kind yes. of thing. That's the kind of stuff that, that was in these studios at that point. It's classic and stuff. It's stuff that classic we stuff. still want to that worked and it use. still works. Yep. Absolutely. It still works great. So, so um, we recorded um, you know, bands all at, you know, all over the place. Well, then we, then we uprooted the band and moved to the Midwest. We lived in Missouri for about four years. And while mm -hmm. we were there, we, the, the next record that we were going to do was percolator. And we wanted, you know, we didn't have a studio there out in the middle of nowhere. So we found, we'd found a really cool little place in, um, Kansas city that had, this place was nice. They had a studer deck, um, I don't remember what that console was. That's going to drive me nuts now. There was a, but they had a pair of U67s. They had a bunch of nice, really nice stuff. This guy, Chuck Chapman had been bought, Chapman Recorders. They had, he had been buying up stuff whenever it would come for sale. Going back to the sixties, they had an EMT plate reverb. They had all kinds of shit in there. It was crazy. And, but it was a tiny little place. And most of his work was in the advertising world. And so most of the time, you know, there were like night sessions or weekend sessions were for bands. And so we we recorded Percolator there, but we thought, let's try going into a higher end studio and and mixing. We've never done that, never had that mm. opportunity. So we brought in an engineer and with we, that big cruise records money. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, so we so we um we found Ardent Recording in Memphis, which I mean, Ardent is a is a, you know, this is a multi-room famous facility that goes back to the 60s i mean this play you know the guy that started this place john fry his list of things that he recorded would astonish almost anybody <clears throat> and he had never gotten rid of any gear he had fucking fairchilds he had all he had everything in that place. it was <laughs> nuts so we went in there we took an engineer in there and those those mixing sessions weren't working out so well so so we were kind of getting stressed out. The general manager said, hey, I know you guys are having some struggle in here. Let me put you in here with, with my favorite house guy. He's got some time open. And let's see if we can get a couple of songs done with this guy. So we went in with, with a man named John Hampton. Hampton, um, so this, this was in their Studio B, which their Studio B had an SSL console. First time I'd ever seen one of those. Hmm. Studio A was a Neve. That's what we were working on. A modern Neve, a more modern Neve. And then they had the SSL console in the B room and an older Neve in the C room. Uh, that's where ZZ Top would be recording is over in the C room. Well, we were, um, so we mixed, we mixed Percolator on, on the SSL with Hampton. Um, I believe it was a Studer tape machine. If I remember right, I think there were probably, there were a few of them floating around the different rooms. And then, you know, the Fairchilds, like I'm saying, all kinds of crazy gear that we had never seen. And that was a really, uh, a big, you know, a big learning process for us. And, and uh, we made great friends with this guy, John Hampton, who's passed away now. And John, John was um, absolutely, 
a hero to Bill and I taught us every any anything that we could ask, which was a lot. He mm-hmm. would exp- it would happily explain to us exactly what everything did. He really tried hard to understand our weird little niches, you know, because Bill and I had been doing everything ourselves for better or worse for quite a few years by then. Um, so anyway, that was that was the Percolator record, and then we did Breaking Things down there too, and then. Then pummel happened. Then then pummel happened. So so we we signed a deal with Interscope Records. We got a, a decent chunk of money. And Bill and I had been you know doing all these records for years. We had we had moved to Fort Collins. We had a big open building, and we were like, "Fuck it, we're building a studio. We're doing our own thing. We'll record our shit ourselves, our way." And so with that record, we 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 bought with that with that money, we built the. St- the space my father and i did most of the construction but everybody chipped in and we just out of a book you know we've kind of learned what to you know okay here do this build a wall like this okay fine so we did all that my dad was a construction worker and we built the room and then we bought a mackie eight bus 32 channel eight bus console as that you could call that the monitoring section a 32 8 or a d8b a 32 8 yeah 32 8 just the just you know and we bought a Otari MTR series three, MTR 90 series three tape deck. Um, and we bought six good input channels. We bought an ISA 215. We bought a red range. Um, was it the red one, the four preamps? I don't remember which one it is, but there was red one or red two, the four preamps. And we bought four API 550Bs in a little lunchbox. So we had six kick-ass channels. We did drums at Ardent in the A room um, on their older Neve, which was a very, very cool console. Um, And then Hampton came up to Fort Collins with us, helped us set up all of our tones, and we recorded everything else with those six preamps. And we, you know, we bought a a U87, um, some 421s, just, you know, the basic shit. We bought some AKG 391B pencil mics for overheads. Right. And then, and then as, as soon as that record, you know, well, then, then it was taken back to, it was eventually mixed in ardent on the, in the A room on, oh, the, wow. on the big knee. On the knee. Um, that was so sort wait, of the wait. deal, you know, was that we could go ahead and spend the money on the studio. They, you know, the label didn't bulk too badly at us. And we, but you know, we had to mix with a real guy. Which, right. Yeah. You know, right. So go back to go back to the blasting room for a second. So you had your six channel inputs, you had the 32, eight, you had, perfect set of mics were you guys using outboard compression we had a tl audio compressor uh we only had one i don't know why we only had we only had that one at first because that was just you know we were mostly gonna you know we used it for vocals it wasn't it wasn't the right kind of compressor for us ultimately you know what we did buy this other yuri compressor a, a single rack space it was a later thing that actually had some uses. I wish I could remember the model name. I saw a picture one recently. I went, there it is. There's that fucking weird. So nothing on the drums on the way in. Not well, you know, funny. I wasn't there tracking bill tracked the stuff with Hampton. What we did is we, we, we did on our four track machine on our, on our, you know, whatever, just a task cam or, you know, a nice, a pretty nice four track machine bill. You know, we, we had click track, bass, guitar, and scratch vocal. And, he took that down to Ardent 
and recorded with Hampton and they just oh, worked on the drums man. themselves while I built while my dad and I actually put up the walls. So the, the drums were at Arden. So it probably the drums had, are at Arden. Yeah. yeah. There were probably yeah. distressors and stuff on the drums. Yeah. They, there. they would have had whatever they would add anything, but I think Hampton for tracking, he would have just used, he would have just used fairly commonplace stuff, like yeah. commonplace, nice stuff for you know, yeah, commonplace sure. in that studio. But I don't know that he would have compressed a tape. I don't, I don't think he really did that that often, maybe a room mic, but I mean, he was more of a, like, no, nah, he, you know, he was, he was into miking stuff. He did 57 on the top of the Tom and a 421 on the bottom. Yeah, a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, I mean, Bill's drum sound through time is unmistakable. I mean, every record, although it's like you put a guitar in your hands and it's going to sound like you, but Bill, I mean, Bill's drum tones, are, they're just distinctly Bill. And, then, and I, yeah, I did want to get plays. in, I did want to get just touch quickly on the re-recording of the guitar tracks for the all best of record. Uh-huh. Well, those, you know, I don't remember too much about that stuff because black okay so so breaking things was recorded did to digital we recorded to a mitsubishi digital machine and then mm. we baked they would call it we we ran the kick and snare to tape for for some heavy tape compression and bumped it back to the mitsubishi i think it was called an x32 that machine and it's fucking that machine sounded great mm. i don't care whether it's digital or not it sounded good that thing Hampton was like the weird thing about this machine is that you know when when you hit when you hit play on tape it has a sound you know it it, it sounds it's you know I heard what came through the console but that is you know that's not what came back off the tape it comes back differently with right. with this machine it sounds exactly the same and it did it sounds that's digital that was pretty wild. Um, uh, I think they had pretty good converters. I, I don't know. Everybody bags on that stuff, but it fucked sure worked for us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, uh, so I, you know, I want to say the breaking things, interestingly enough too, that was recorded with MS stereo over the, over the drum kit. Odd, odd. big, big room, high ceilings, really live. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was that was a very that was a very kind of a different kind of thing, and we weren't able to replicate that kind of stuff too easily at the blasting room because we had a much lower ceiling. Yeah. Um, and over time, they've perfected that room and made it sound you know really good now. So anyway, a little bit more of the timeline of the of the blasting room. There, we we bought that console, that little Mackie, and and you know I mixed the first Hagfish record on that console. That console it did fine. It was pretty yeah. good. We've worked on them before. Our our friend Gibby had one at a at a studio in Hoboken, and it was it was killer. It sounded pretty good, and yeah. it was funny. I remember Hampton Hampton. He 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 was in there, you know, helping us set up. We were playing back some tapes of of the drums he had just recorded at Arden, and I remember he turns around and he looks at me. He goes, "This console sounds good." I think he was just how much was this thing? I was like, I think it was three grand. He was yeah. like, "Fuck," you know. Um, that was pretty funny. Well, anyway, so we. So we recorded a, a you know a slew of bands and and then uh, you know then then um, got dropped from the label uh, you know they that it was decided that we would not continue our relationship with the label and there was there part of our contract they gave us a little bit of money as a going away present I guess you could say and then we 
you know, this was right at the time that Milo was like, okay, well, I'd like to come back and do a record. Okay, great. So we talked to Brett, you know, we'd known for decades mm. and got a little bit of money from him. And we used that as the down payment to put in a SSL console into the studio. And the reason, you know, we, we had obviously seen the, uh, you know, we had done a couple records mixed on an SSL with John Hampton, <clears throat> but um, we had mixed, we, we recorded everything sucks at the blasting room, 15 hips, you know, with just the gear that you, that you already know about by then, maybe we had gotten a couple more pieces, but not much. It would have been very, very basic. Um, we recorded the stuff that way. Then we mixed it with Andy Wallace at tracks. No, what's that place called? I don't remember soundtracks in New York city. We mixed it with Andy Wallace on an SSL. And Andy Wallace was, you know, I mean, he's like, for me, maybe the gold standard of all mixing engineers. I mean, he's sure. probably my favorite. I mean, you know, or, or very close to it, if not my favorite. And he also mixed on an SSL. Well, we had, you know, we went ahead and bought this SSL, um, you know, uh, at some incredible debt, but it came out of Babyface's studio, apparently, during nice. a time when SSL was offering this kind of re recondition program. So we bought this, we bought this console that had been fully reconditioned at the, you know, from, from SSL techs. And it remains a, a, you know, a absolutely wonderful console. And, and I mean, it was never a console used for inputs it's inputs you know we we didn't we never really used it because we already had the api stuff or the focus right stuff the api stuff eventually we expanded on that and and then of course i moved away not that long after that and those guys have continued to add on now they've got you know undertone audio they've got racks full of um cappy vp28s they've got you know wonderful wonderful gear all through that room now yeah so you produced the record for really good friends of ours, Shades hmm. Apart. Oh, New yeah. Jersey. Oh, yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about working at Trax East, which, by the way, we've both, you know, I kind of feel like we lived at that studio one time or another. Uh, well, Trax East, and you'll remember the name of the fella, not the guy that owned it, but the guy that engineered there for years. I mean, the guy Eric Rachel. Eric Rachel. Eric Rachel. Sweet, sweet guy. Really nice guy. And Eric, you know. I mean, Eric was probably a more knowledgeable engineer than Bill and I were. I mean, as far as pure engineering, he he did a he did great great sounding records. Well, you know, we had we had played a couple of shows with Shades Apart, gotten to be friends with them, heard their incredible you know demos that they'd done, other recordings, and that first record they did, um, and they wanted us to come record them. So we we uh, Bill and I drove out in my in my uh, Ford van from. Um, uh, I think we were living in Missouri at that time. Still, we drove out in my in my old Ford van, and uh, we went and watched them practice in in their practice room. Which they were so good that I was. I think Bill and I were just like, I, I don't know what we could possibly add to this. I, nothing. I mean, you guys are fucking just stupidly good. They were so good, and I don't remember. We don't. We probably only recorded the record for four or five days, five days, something like that. Um, they had their stuff completely worked out. It was perfect. I don't think we made a single change to anything as far as arrangements or whatever. All we did is just try to get the kind of sounds that they knew that we did, that they in theory liked. And I, I mixed it. The, 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 um, 
the console was a sound workshop. I do remember that much. They had some nice outboard. They had the first, you know, one of the first Neve preamps I'd ever gotten mm -hmm. a chance to use. Just one, you know, just one channel of a 1272 or something like that. I believe we used on the kick. Um, and it was, you know, they had, I think, some 1176s and, you know, just the kind of same stuff everybody else had. Just fairly, you know, good, you know, equipment was good. And there wasn't a massive range of like prosumer you know, I mean, if you got into, there was prosumer stuff, obviously, or, you know, but it was, the dividing line was stronger. There was pro shit and there was shit you could use at home, like a four, you know, like a, like the TAC four track and, you know, yeah. that kind of yeah. stuff. And, um, that a great sounding live room. Yeah. The, and and it, it did sound pretty good. We did, um, yeah, I want to say it was about five days and I can't say, you know, I would love to get a hold of those tapes now and remix them because I think they, I think they could have sounded better. I think I mixed the record a little too dark and whatever, you know, I, I mean, I had a tendency to do that. I still do sometimes, mm -hmm. but um, I'll tell you one thing, Mark V, that motherfucker, that motherfucker sang that whole record down in one session. I've never seen anything like that. I mean, imagine the power of a guy and his pitch is perfect. There, He's one of only two guys I've ever recorded where I said, okay, you ready to make a pass at it? Okay, let's go. Poof. And I listened to it. Yeah, he recorded the song and I've rewound and I played it back and I just went, I got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> perfect. This is absolutely perfect. He's he's one of only two guys I've ever done that with. He is so, so good. And yeah. you know, Kevin's incredible on the backing vocals. Uh, Ed's a monster. I mean, they're just they were just unbelievable. And but so my van they still are, by <laughs> the van, way. They still are. They still are, right. This is my van that we were in. My dad had given me this van. It had two two gas tanks in it. One of them hadn't worked for years. Well, it was parked out on the street out there, like kind of down the street a little bit from tracks east. And all of a sudden it decided to just dislodge some 10 year old fucking gas that had been sitting in it. And the gas was just rolling down the street. So I'm just sitting up there working on the Shades Apart record. This cop comes in and he's like, is there a Stefan, you know, in here? And, and I'm like, that's me. And I'm like, what the fuck? Is there a Stephen like, Egerton? Yeah, is there a Stephen Egerton? Yeah. And, and, it, and sure enough, it was my van and and I think it had been towed. So I had to get it out of tow. But so yeah, gasoline was literally just rolling down the fucking running down rivers, South running river, down probably the into South, South river. river. People are smoking, you know, cause that street was busy. There's people everywhere. I was, Oh God. <laughs> anyway. So that's, that's my, that's my ridiculous <sighs> shades park moment. Um, that's awesome. Well, and those guys, even uh, their, their latest record, I helped them get a bunch of equipment, got them a bunch of focus right stuff. Oh, sweet. They, awesome. You know, they recorded it themselves. And then I think they sent everything over to Jason Livermore. To Livermore, yes. And, and Livermore did uh mixed it over over in Blasting Room and they sent it back to me. And I'm like, wait, so you didn't use any preamps. You didn't use well, other than the focus right focus rights. You didn't use any outboard compressors. You, he's like, no, just the mics you got it, you know, just the the mics you got us, and and the focus right, you know, eight <laughs> Scarlet eight, you know, yeah, eight eighteen, and uh, yeah, or eighteen, uh, I think it was the eighteen twenty four, and uh, yeah, no, so it's, it's all good. Like That's his right. drums are perfect. Yeah, but again, you put good instruments in the hands of great players. And, yeah, it, you know, it you get matter at that point. You can record them with almost anything, you know, uh, if, if, if they play well and it's going to be fine, you know, <laughs> hilarious. So 
So I have a question. I, I asked this question uh, toward towards the end of our conversations. Uh, we've talked about a ton of gear. You you obviously went through a ton of stuff that you talked about, and I'm sure there's a ton more. But oh yes, I could go on all day. <laughs> same, and we and we do often. James and I do often. That's why we have a podcast. Uh, so, desert island gear. If you were if you were stuck with just three pieces of gear guitar amp pedal or guitar amp cabinet whatever combination just curious what uh, i personally i can't pick so i like asking other people and forcing them into the position you know if 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 everything were to burn down and i could have it sounds like i'm you know like in advertising mode but i'm really not if i could have that come on that don music, draper that music man guitar that, that i was telling you about the one the first yep. one they sent me just you just guitar number one I could, I could, I could function with just that guitar for from now on. That'd be fine. Um, and then I think I would have to have a Universal Audio um, Apollo uh, because now, I mean this this assumes that I can use the the free plug, you know, the plugins that come with the package. We'll give you the plugins. You sure. Yeah, okay. They're if on I the island. The plugins. They if the plugins make it to the island, then that, um, and then. The one kind of not esoteric, a fairly commonplace piece of gear is a a real U forty eight, multi pattern forty seven. You know what I mean? Nice. Like the like the forty seven, but the, with the multiple patterns. I could probably get away with that and just be okay. Does <laughs> <I like laughs> that does that count as three? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, totally. this this, sure. this sort sure. of presumes that I brought my computer with me to the island. You know, yeah, the computer's uh, there. It's an the island. Computer the computer was already there, good. so it's an island. Yeah, with and power, <laughs> and power. Yeah, so so there would be that. But the, those Manhattan's an three, island. It's... You know, uh, because because like you know, at this point in my life, I really love documenting songs. Like there's the 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 two musical joy sparks for me you know are playing with my guys because that's just that's just like you know imagine the shared experience of 40 years and and you know or whatever like i i, I think i've been in the band 36 years so you know approaching 40 years now but with carl and i it is 40 years of of playing music together so you know, when you imagine what that kind of connection is like, you know, and, and, uh, you know, that's, that's obviously a massive joy thing. Those songs with those guys, um, it fits like a glove because, you know, we've made it fit like a glove, right? We know exactly what to expect and we can ask new things of it and that'll work too. It's, it's awesome. But the other thing that sparks joy is writing and recording songs quickly for me. Um, I really, now I, I'm, I'm a late stage songwriter. I didn't write much, you know, and I, I, over the years I've contributed music a lot to the band or contributed parts. And I mean, I've certainly had, you know, my hands dirty in every iota of the band of what we were doing drum. I, I'm suggesting drum parts. I might have a harmony idea, whatever, you know, but what I never have done a lot of is sit down and write whole songs by myself. The first song I ever wrote lyrics and music because everything sucks so that was pretty late in the game wow the second one i wrote was the song um she's got everything that's on this the stefan edgerton the you know with all of my buddies the number nine seven degrees of, of yeah right seven degrees of stefan the one that milo sings on on the yeah. record with me a long time ago and and mark v 
and Mark V on that record and, you know, a lot of other fabulous singers. So, yeah. um, so that's my second song. So, you know, it's like, I, I really didn't have a lot of complete songs with lyrics. That wasn't my thing. Well, now that's more where my focus is. Um, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on 60. I can still, I can still get the hands to, to react, but they don't react quite like they used to that, that, you know, <laughs> Um, even with a lot of practice, I spend, I still spend hours and hours scales and, you know, I still work on that stuff and try to keep my, my thing up, but you know, age is age and it happens, but you know, the, what over the last bunch of years, I'm more interested in the, the, the sort of, you know, what the first band that connected with me, I know where this is a gear show, but the first band that connected to me was the Beatles. Um, and they're still my kind of primary musical connection and that was what i wanted to do was just write shit like paul and john did you know what i mean that's that's what i want to do write songs like that and i'm not much of a singer but i do like to sing oddly i have like kind of a shitty voice but i i enjoy singing i enjoy what it feels like to play guitar and sing at the same time because i think it's because it's how i learned it's what mm. i it's it's, yeah, it's the yeah. musical nugget number one is that so i like to do that and so i like to record myself and hence my choice is now, unfortunately, I'm going to have to beat on rocks and shit and, you know, a log or whatever to, you know, provide drums on the island, you know. Uh, oh, there's a drum machine. It, oh, there, okay. Well, then Easy fine. drummer is a... Uh, that's true. I can just use, yeah, I can just fine. use, I can just use the shit that's in the, in the computer. That'll be Bill, fine. Bill can, can just email you a stereo mix of drums. Yeah, yeah. He can just, and, and so, <laughs> yeah, so as far as my man. desert island picks, yeah. So, you know, so desert island picks are just, just that music man guitar, the Stefan model, you know, um, cause it just fits me like a glove. It's perfect. And then universal audio Apollo, because I can, cause I can use it to, I can play, I can play my guitars, uh, in real time with amp Sims. And that way I'm not bumming out my wife. Who's, you know, sleep in the cave. Shout know, out to Dave Lennon. Yeah. Yes. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and, and so, you know, that's, um, you know, and, and the, a real U48, a real one, mm. like a, like, an old so band. it's funny. Cause you <laughs> went back to the Beatles. We got through an hour and 40 minutes without discussing the Beatles, without talking and, about the Beatles. And I figured you it's and a I, show. yeah, but you and I, and Dan, I figured we could probably spend six, seven hours doing a play-by-play of the entire get back documentary oh that was just it was crazy. just to watch like songs that you grew up taking loving but taking for granted thinking they were so hammered out and just like hey guys check this out this is what i got and like yeah it's angering and everybody's like yeah it no, is. that's it's infuriating that didn't even make that record yeah. or the next record and witnessing the moment of creation you know <laughs> that part was is just cool because you know if if you've had the you know i mean i don't have one like like uh get back but i but i mean i know what it feels like to to you know come up with something and have it all you know congeal and connect and go oh fuck okay there it is there's the you know the chords and the melody and it's all together and there it is i know yeah. you know and and it's just you don't get to witness that with somebody who has also written fucking penny lane <laughs> you know what i mean and just go okay so that's how they did that one okay right. then you know that that's a that was an, an amazing moment and i could go on uh for hours you know, long and winding road we can do it on the next God. one yeah, yeah it's and insane. on the next one you know, we can do it, and we'll get into drums because you know we didn't talk about drums. 
you know. We will have to come back, but I think uh, I think this was awesome, man. Yeah, Staffing. thank you very much. Sorry, thank the, you no. so much. Don't I, apologize. I apologize to the listener because you know anybody who listens to this goes, God, this guy just fucking what's wrong with him? But I'm just a nervous talker, and I'm really ADD, real bad. So like, <laughs> it's it's like a bag of cats in my brain. It's what it's like in there. It's fucked up. So well, so we, I we, just, we love your cats. Yeah. Amazing, it's amazing. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for having me. And it was good talking to you. And if you want to do this again sometime, we'll, you know, you know where to find me. We have so much more to talk about. Absolutely. Sounds good. Thank you, Stefan. Thank you guys. Have a good night. Take care.